resources. And uh, just to give you a little bit of context, it's God speaking to Israel, the nation of Israel, through Moses. And, um, and he's telling them uh, to assign certain cities in certain places in the nation. And, um, and we're going to talk about why God did that this morning. Here's what it says. Verse 10 of Numbers 35. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye have come over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may, be, may, may flee thither, which killeth any person at unawares. In other words, an unintentional homicide or the killing of another individual. Verse 12. And they shall be unto thee Unto you cities for refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer die not until he stand before the congregation in judgment. And of these cities ye shall give six cities shall, be, shall ye have for refuge. And ye shall give three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities shall ye give in the land of Canaan, which shall be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be a refuge both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee thither. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord this morning. And thank you for all of our visiting friends here. Thank you for the church that is gathered together. And thank you for all of the, the blessings that you provided for us in order for us to gather together and be able to worship your name and hear the preaching of your word. We pray your blessing be upon us as we listen in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone says amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard a testimony where someone smoked that much pot for that many years. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, we really are convinced that Jesus Christ can change everything, you know. You trust the Lord and you put your confidence in him, man, he's able to change everything. So we thank God for the testimony this morning, Brother Francisco and his wife, and thank God for not only a God that's able to break addictions, but a God that is able to heal your heart and your mind so that you can have peace. And we thank God for that. Praise the Lord. Well, today what I want to do is I want to take your, your um, draw your attention rather to um, uh, a historical fact, something that happened that was a part, that is a part of the history of the nation of Israel. And I'm going to use that uh, historical uh, fact to illustrate a spiritual point today. And Jesus oftentimes did that. He would... Um, take a spiritual truth that he was trying to illustrate and the way that, that he was trying to teach and the way that he did it was that he put some sort of, of practical reality that people already were familiar with in order to make the point. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to teach you on what's known in the scriptures and in the history of the nation of Israel as the cities of refuge. And I'm going to hopefully today make this point, which I think is one of the most important things that we can understand as, um, 
as uh, God's children, and that is that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to the world, came to offer us a way to have a remedy for our sins. And that uh, Jesus Christ is not only the way to God, the way for us to find reconciliation with God, but Jesus Christ is also the actual entrance into every good thing that God wants to pour out upon our lives, to give us freely in his grace and in his goodness. And so today what I want to do is I want to focus on those truths. And of course at the end of the message or throughout the message, the point that I really want you to get in your heart is, is perhaps the most crucial and important point of this entire message is that Jesus Christ is the answer to the problem of our sin. It really is the truth. Now, um, that truth that Jesus Christ is the answer to the biggest problem that man has in his life, which is the problem of sin, that truth is made over and over in the scriptures, all the way from the beginning book, Genesis, to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelations. There's one point that's consistently being made over and over again. And God does it in various and in different ways. And the reason he does it in so many different ways is because we all learn in different ways. And God is just wanting to make sure that we don't miss out on the main point of the Bible. And the main point of the Bible is this, that, that God created us and he loves us. And we've got a problem, which is called the problem of sin. And what God wants to do is he wants to give us, or what he has done, is he has given us the remedy to the problem of our sin. And the remedy to the problem of our sin is not a thing, it's not a place, it's not a philosophy, it's not an idea, it's not something that's to be necessarily learned in a book or something like that, it's a person. And the problem to our sin, according to the scriptures, is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the remedy to the biggest problems that mankind is experiencing today, whether of any nature, every problem of every kind, whether it's political or spiritual or whatever other kind of problem man has is, is the product of sin and the brokenness that there is in the world because of sin. And so the answer to those problems that we have in life, the Bible teaches us is Jesus Christ and just submitting our lives to him. So... Over and over again, as I've said, the scripture is constantly making this point. Jesus is the answer. You guys have all heard the phrase, you know, uh, maybe some of us that are a little bit older more than uh, the rest of, of some of you. And that is that Jesus is the way. He's the way. If you want to be saved, if you want to be right with God, if you want your heart to be, to be reconciled to the Lord, you want to live a life that is a life pleasing to the Lord. There's only one way to do it, and that's through Jesus Christ. Over and over, and in so many different ways, God is making this point. Jesus is the way to God. In fact, the book of John is, a, is an important book. It's, it's different from the other gospels that we find in the book of, in, in the New Testament. Um, one of the things that's unique about the gospel of John is this, that John tells us seven times in the, in the scriptures that Jesus has exclusive rights to, to God. Exclusive rights to the way to God. 
and and he speaks in 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 ways that are that are that exclude every other experience and every other religion and every other philosophy and every other religious leader that's just the way Jesus spoke and uh, and he says salvation is not something that is that is going to be gotten anywhere else other than the son of god Jesus Christ our lord and savior and in seven times John in the book of in the gospel that he wrote he says for example uses the word i am referring to Jesus Christ and um, let me give you those in fact let me give you those seven phrases in John chapter 6 Jesus said this I am the bread of life and that means that he's the one that sustains the life that we have in John chapter 8 he says I am the light of the world he is the one that gives clarity and so much confusion and so much moral disarray that there is in the world today so so many ideas that are conflicting one with the other so much debate that there is in the world today if you want to get clarity about what life is really supposed to be like and what we're really supposed to hold as our closest values what really is true well then you go to Jesus Christ he brings clarity to our lives on another occasion Jesus says I am the door then he said I am the good shepherd and then he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And in every one of these instances, Jesus is making some sort of exclusive claim to things that are really important to life. When he said, I am the bread of life, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was saying, if you want life, you're going to get it through Jesus Christ. When he said, I am the door, for example, he was talking the illustration of sheep, and he was saying, if you really want to enter into a secure place, a place that is where you're safe in God, the way to do that is through Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection is an important phrase for every one of us that at some point or another are going to have to deal with the reality of life. For young people, it's not that evident. It's not that in your face or that real. But the older we get and the more... The older we get and the more life, you know, begins to have its, its uh, inevitable effects on our bodies and on our lives, we begin to realize more and more that death is an in inevitability. Every one of us at some point are going to have to deal with the reality that we're mortal, our lives are finite, we're not going to be here forever. And it's important for us then to think about these things. It's important for us then to find some sort of solution to the problem of death while we're here on earth. And Jesus again said, I am the resurrection and the life. In fact, there's three times in these phrases that John brings out where Jesus says, I'm the life. I'm the life. That doesn't just refer to life eternal, although certainly and primarily it does to that, but it refers to living life right in a way that brings fulfillment to you and to me and to every one of us in a way that makes our lives significant in a way that focuses on life, on the things that are truly important in life. Jesus says, if you want significance, if you want to find a place where your life is really going to make a difference, not just down here, but also for eternity, then Jesus is the way. This, these biblical truths that John mentions are really, really important, but in the message today, I want to focus on two of those, of those truths. And those truths are these. When Jesus said about himself, I am the door, in John chapter 10, 
And then when he said, I am the way, and that he said in John chapter 14. In fact, let me read those verses for you. Here's what they said. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And then in John chapter 14, when Jesus Christ was getting close to the crucifixion, and he wasn't no longer going to be with his disciples, and he's trying to inform them and give them, let them know what's about to happen. Here's what he said. He told them, he says, I'm, I'm going to leave. And John, as well as all of the other apostles, got a little bit troubled by the fact that this teacher that they dedicated three and a half years of their life to was now going to, was gonna, was no longer going to be with them. And so when Jesus says, I'm leaving, here's how Thomas, one of the disciples, responded. Thomas said unto him, verse 5, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's on those true truths that I want to kind of focus on when I, in this message that I'm giving you today. The proclamation of Jesus where he says, I am the door. He didn't say, I am a door to God. Again, the terms that he's using are really exclusive terms. He's excluding every other door as not a door that leads to God. And when he says, I am the way, again, it's a very exclusive term uh, in, uh, that excludes every other way to God. And contrary to the popular beliefs that there are in the world today that every religion offers a way to God, I mean, that may be the belief that you hold and we respect that, but Jesus begs to differ. The statements of Jesus were so absolutely clear. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In fact, it's interesting when you think about the life of Jesus, how counter his teachings were to the, to the popular teachings that there are in culture today. Today, in our relativistic mindset, you know, we think that, you know, there's many ways to God. In our, in our way of thinking about truth, we don't think about just the truth. We think about just generally what is your truth. And all of the things that God taught, or many of the things that God taught in the New Testament, whether it's family or whether it's whatever it might be, it, they're just being diluted down into almost this kind of, this kind of um, 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 ambiguous definition so that anyone, truth can be anything for anyone, depending on their circumstances and their desires and their wishes. And, and Jesus wasn't that way. Whenever he talked, about truth or whenever he talked about getting to God and the way to God or whenever he talked about having access to God, he was always very specific about that. He says, if there's any way to get to God, I'm the way. If there's any way, if there's any access that anyone's going to have to God, I'm the one that provides the access. I am the door. And so these statements that Jesus Christ made are not just exclusive, but they have intentionality behind them. They're supposed to teach us the greatness of Christ, the centrality of Christ to all of human experience. They're supposed to teach us that there is no other human being that has ever lived upon the face of the earth that is more important to our spiritual well-being, to our familial well-being, to our emotional well-being, just to our, our well-being overall than Jesus Christ. If you come to Jesus Christ, you surrender your life, you give your life to him, 
you're going to find the fountain of life itself. Now, in the scriptures that we read today, these truths that um, illustrated something about God and the people of Israel. And I'm talking now about the scriptures that we read at the beginning of our, of our message. And let me read a little bit for you what the scriptures that I read in Numbers chapter 34. Here's what the Bible says in verse, in verse number 10. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye come over, in, over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint unto you cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth a person at unawares. And that's an interesting scripture because what it's going to present to us, or what it is presenting to us is this. Is, let me give you a little bit of the history. And it's going to illustrate these two points. It's going to illustrate that Jesus is the only way to God. And it's going to illustrate to you that in order for you to have spiritual forgiveness or spiritual security in order for you to know that you're in a safe place in God that in him there really is forgiveness of sins that in him even though you've sinned and you've offended God and you've done things against the will of God and I think we're all aware of that even though that's your reality and my reality that in Jesus Christ we have a safe place that he has provided through his sacrifice on Calvary's cross, through the shedding of his blood, through the giving of his life. He has offered a secure place where we can live and where we can abide and where we can have security in him. And so let me tell you the, the background of the story of the scriptures that we read at the beginning. The point, again, is going to be that Jesus is the way to God and that he provides access to God. The background is this. In the history of the nation of Israel, the Bible says that God brought them out of the land of Egypt after having spent 430 years in slavery. 430 years. And God brought them out of that slavery. Then he put them into the desert. They crossed over the Red Sea. You've all heard the stories. And if you haven't heard the stories, for sure you've seen the movie. He made them cross over the Red Sea. And then they went into the desert. And for 40 years, they dwelt in a desert. And there God gave them 10 commandments to live by. There God gave them his law. There God provided for them protection from the sun. Provided them water for them to eat. And every morning, the Bible says manna would come down from heaven and they water to drink. And every morning manna would come down from heaven. And they'd have food that would supply all of their needs to eat. In other words, the point was this. That when God brought the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, God became a provider for them. And all the time that they spent in the, in the land of the wilderness, which was 40 years, all of that time, God proved himself to be a God that was a provider. Now, I was interested in the comment that our brother Francisco made that he wasn't sure about getting baptized because, you know, he didn't know if he was going to make it or, or whatever, if he was strong enough, what have you. But I want to tell you this, that for every person that gives their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not a concern you need to have. Because if God saves you, he is going to provide for you so that you'll make it all the way in your Christian life until Jesus Christ 
comes to take you to be with him. Our God is not just a saving God. He's a providing God. Anybody want to just say thank the Lord for that? Our God is a God that provides for every need that we have. And so for 40 years, God provided for the nation of Israel. Well, they, he pulled them out of Egypt with this vision in mind. I'm going to take you to a land from a land of slavery. I'm going to take you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And that, that means this. I'm going to take you to a land of abundance. You barely lived in a very meager fashion over here in the land of Egypt. You were slaves. You had no freedom of will. You had no freedom to choose something better for yourself. You were always under the, 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 uh, the slavery of the Egyptians. But I'm going to take you out of that slavery. And I'm going to take you to a place where you have freedom. Where the land is going to provide in abundance for all of your needs. And you're going to be established there forever. You know, I, you know, I don't know what ideas you might have about God, but, you know, some people have this idea that God is a austere God, that God is a mean God, that God's over us, just ready for us to make one mistake so that he can come down on us and judge us. But I want to tell you something about our God. Our God is a God that has great intentions for our lives. The plans of God are not to destroy us. They're not to put us down. They're not to obliterate us. The plan and the desire of God is to save us. It's to bring us into a better place than we've been at all of our lives. Come on, somebody needs to give God praise for that. Our God has great intentions for our lives. If you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll bring you out of that dark place where you find yourself. He'll bring you out of that broken marriage where you find yourself. He'll bring you out of that place of addiction that you find yourself. And he'll bring you into a place of health and of well-being. He'll bring you into what the Bible calls the promised land. And that's exactly what God wanted to do for the nation of Israel. Take them from a land of slavery and bring them into a land of blessing. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I know my post-Christ life and my and my pre-Christ life. And I'll tell you this. That before I came to Jesus Christ. I needed someone to save me. I needed someone to break some of the stuff. Some of the addictions that I had in my life. I needed someone to resolve this sin problem. That was in my heart and in my mind. I needed someone to save me from myself. And when I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you what happened. He did it all. He saved my heart. He saved my mind. He saved my spirit. He just brought me out of sin into his marvelous light. Over and over again from the Old Testament all the way to the end of times, God's got a one-track mind. He wants to save people. He loves people. He doesn't want them to languish in sin. He doesn't want them to carry on without the best that he, they can have in life. And he knows that the best for our lives is found in him. And so the story of God is he's on this search to find those that are willing to believe him. To find those that are willing to trust him. So that he can move on their lives and bless them and bring them into a better place. Somebody give the Lord a hand praise this morning. Now, when... 
Israel came out of Egypt and was just about to go into the promised land, that land of blessing. God knows us, guys. He knows our tendency to fail and our, our tendency not to be strong but to be weak. And let me just say this. For every one of us here that is someday going to stand before God saved, it's not going to be because you were stronger or better or more intelligent or more spiritual than anybody else. You know what it's going to be? You believed God. Everybody that gets to heaven is going to get to heaven because of one reason. They trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. Just believing in the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your mind. And so this nation of Israel is about to cross over another body of water that's called the Jordan River. And as they cross over the Jordan River, they're going to enjoy then all of the land that God had promised to them. But prior to that, God knowing our weakness and our tendency to fail, here's what God said. He says, Moses, I need you to talk to the nation of Israel. And I need you to tell them that when they get to that land, that promised land, I need them to build cities. And these cities aren't going to be regular cities. People are going to live in them, but they're going to be purposeful cities. You're going to build three of them on this side of the Jordan River. And then you're going to build three of them on that side of Jordan River. And you're going to space them out just enough so that everyone in the nation of Israel that dwells in that land, whether they're sons of God or whether they're not sons of God, they're just passing through, whether they're believers in God or they're not believers in God, all those people that dwell in the land, if they should at some point in their life commit a murder, kill, take someone's life innocently without premeditation, if they took the life of another without intentionality, then that individual will be able to run to these cities that are called cities of refuge. And when they abide in the city, there they will find security. You see, what would happen in that day, the system that God set up was this, that if someday you were doing some sort of business and then accidentally um, you, someone was killed and it was because of your um, um, not having taken care of some details or because it was your fault because that individual was not given whatever he needed to be able to do the job or you put him at risk or whatever happened. Something that you were doing affected their lives so that their life was lost. There was an unintentional homicide. If that took place in the nation of Israel, here's what God said. The person is guilty of having taken that life without intention. But what I want you to do is this. I want you to create cities on both sides of the Jordan River. And whenever an individual is guilty of sin, they'll be able to run to that city. And as long as they're in that city, the avenger of blood, which was a blood relative, will not be able to go and take their lives and avenge the death of their loved one, which was a normal practice in the day. Back in the day, in that day, if there was a homicide, intentional or unintentional, that was taken, the blood relative of that individual had the right to take the eye, the, the life of the person that whose the, the life of the person that had taken the life of their loved one. And so that was clearly established 
rules or laws or ethics in the day that God spoke to Moses. But here's what God was doing. Because our God is a God of love and of mercy. He said, you build these cities. And if ever anyone dies and someone gets killed unintentionally, the person that took that life will be able to run into one of these cities. And as long as he's in the city, his life will be secure. As long as he dwells in that place, the avenger of blood will not be able to come and to take their life. In fact, let me give you a couple of characteristics of these cities that were called cities of refuge. Cities where you could run and you could be secure from the avenger of blood. Cities where you could run and you could be well if you were in fact guilty of having taken the life of another. The first thing that I would tell you about these cities was this, that the cities were a protection for the guilty. The guilty. Person that committed a homicide, an unintentional homicide, he was guilty, but he had an option. He could run to a city of refuge, and if he got to the city of refuge, he could find security. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because... Here's what the Bible says about every one of us, not regarding homicide, but regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. Regarding the holiest, most beautiful person that has ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says this. It says that every one of us that, that, that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that have embraced and trusted in him, Receive the benefit of the forgiveness of our sins. Of entering with God or in Christ into a secure place. Where even though we are guilty of sin. Because every one of us are guilty of sin. Every one of us. And listen, I don't even have to convince you of this. Because you know it. You haven't even lived up to your own standards. No have I. Of what right and what wrong is. I have, I try and we struggle against sin to live and to hold God's standard and to be the best person that we can. And let's put the Bible aside just for a second. You, we don't even live up to our own standards. We don't even do the things that we exhort ourselves. You better stop doing this and you better start doing that. We don't even live to our own standards. Now, what about God's perfect standard? Every one of us. Every one of us, without exception, is in that place where we have sinned and we have offended God. And you know what the Bible says about sin? It says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, you have sinned and the sin that you committed has separated you from God and his goodness and the very best that he has for your life. You say, well, how can that be? Listen. It doesn't take a multitude of sins for you to get cast away from God. All it takes is one sin. It doesn't take a whole bunch of sins for God to say, you know, I, I, we, our relationship is broken. All it takes is one sin. You say, but how does that make sense? A person that lives their entire life and only commits one sin, how can that sin separate them from God? Well, look at the book of Genesis. How many sins did Adam commit before God separated him in his relationship from God. Before the choice that Adam took had the consequence of now he wasn't in communion with God. 
Now he was struggling with guilt, and now he was struggling with culpability and all those other things. It just took one sin. Some people say he ate from an apple. It may have been a, 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 it may have been a banana or a pineapple. I don't know what the fruit of the tree was, the, the, the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know what it was, but I'll tell you this. Whatever it was, it was just one sin that Adam committed that caused him to be cast away from God or caused him to be separated in his relationship that ruined his relationship with God. Just one sin was enough. And so when the Bible says that we have all sinned, guys, that we've all messed up, just that one sin. And, man, I don't know about you guys, all right? Maybe, maybe you guys are a one sin kind of person. I'm not. I'm a lot of sins kind of a person, right? And if one sin is going to mess up Adam's relationship with God, Hey, how, how bad a situation are every one of us, his sons, in? Because we follow the example of our, our, of our father, Adam, and then we multiply it by who knows how much. We have all sinned. And the result of all of our sin is precisely the same as it was for Adam. We have been separated from God. We're guilty. Everyone say guilty. Every one of us in this place, without exception, is guilty for God. Well, I want to tell you good news. That the city of refuge that is a type of Jesus Christ was created specifically to resolve the problem of our guilt. For every guilty person in the nation of Israel that had committed the worst of crimes, the taking of another's life, for that individual, there was rescue. There was, there was a refuge that he could run to. And so it is today. And what a glorious day it is that we live in today. When the guilty don't have to live with their guilt and condemnation. Where the guilty don't have to remain separated from God. But where the guilty can come to Jesus Christ. Where they can believe on him. Where they can trust in him. Where they can find forgiveness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that we are living in a great day. We're living in a day when not only are there cities spread out where you can run and get refuge in, but we're living in a day where whosoever will and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. Well, the cities were for a protection of the guilty. And um, not only that, but the cities were also within the reach of all, as I just got done explaining. Three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other. They were in such a distance that anyone that was guilty could run. And they would find a place of refuge in those cities. Now, some of them were located on the mountains so that they would be visible to people that were needing to find the forgiveness of their sins. The cities were built in the most accessible areas so that no one would be left out of the grace and the forgiveness that God and the protection that God was offering. No tribe was too far. No person was too far away from a place of security. The cities were there so that we could run. Isn't that great to know that today, for example, today, I mean, think about our city here of Compton. 
we have churches almost every three or four blocks away from each other. I mean, if you just go straight up here out Segunda, you're going to find one on Mona. You're going to find this street here. And if you go half a block, you're going to find another one there. And go a little bit further, you're going to find another one on that side. Within a half a mile, we've got about six or seven churches just on this one street. And if you get Mona, you go up this, or you're going to buy two or three other churches there before you get to the shopping center. They're everywhere. What are churches that are so criticized by our culture and our society today? What are churches and pastors and preachers that are so, so criticized and so ridiculed by our culture today? You know what they are? They're cities of refuge, my friends. They're places where you can go and you can hear the message of salvation, my friends. They're places where you can go and you can hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can receive the forgiveness of your sins, my friends. God has set places all around us where we can hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cities were within the reach of all. Now, isn't it interesting to note the third point? That the roadways to these cities had to be completely open. And the, the, um, the tradition tells us that the rabbis or the priests had the responsibility of clearing these roads. They would go through these roads of the cities of refuge or they led to the cities of refuge. And the priests, the sons of God, the ministers of the Lord would go through those, through those, through those roadways, through those, uh, through those highways, and they would take out the weeds and remove the stones, and, and they would make sure that the roads were clear so that anyone that wanted to come, anyone that had need for protection or for a refuge could come to that city. There was to be no obstacle, no condition, no circumstance that would inhibit a person from coming to that city where they could find refuge. And that's precisely what we have in Jesus Christ everywhere, at every time, in every individual. Today, some of you came to this place, and what you need is the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What you need more than anything, it's not money that's going to help you, it's not a change in your work environment or in your family that's going to be the solution. The solution to the problem that you're confronting and facing is the Lord Jesus Christ. You need not just to find something that will give you a sense of security. You need to find a place or a person that will give you ultimate security. And his name is the Lord Jesus. Throughout Throughout these cities, there were signs that were erected as a guide to the cities of refuge. And a person that was guilty, that was running through these, through these, uh, through these uh, highways would be able to see the names of the cities that were, that, were, that were cities of refuge. Kadesh, 10 miles to Kadesh, or, or 5 miles to Kadesh, or 1 mile to, to Kadesh, or maybe it was Shechem another city of refuge, and there were signs that were posted. And as the guilty person ran, they would see, it's just 20 miles and you'll be in a place of security, of Shechem. Or maybe it was Hebron that was another city of refuge 
but the signs were posted and people could know that there was salvation available, that there was security available to everyone that needed a secure and a safe place. This place is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cities were available to all. And you know what the great thing about this? It's not just that the roads were clear, that the roads were available, and that the cities were within reach of everyone, but that the gates of the cities of refuge could not be closed. They were always open. Isn't it great to know that? That the doors to heaven are open. That God has not yet commanded the gates of heaven to be closed. And that today, whosoever wills, Whosoever decides, whosoever chooses to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ can get saved. You can have the salvation that your heart yearns for. You can have the salvation that your heart and your mind desire, that your soul so desperately needs. The door is open. In one of the Old Testament stories, this truth is point, poignantly told. And here's what the Bible says. Y'all know the story. It's the story of, of Noah and the ark. And um, God told Noah it's going to rain. And they said, well, what's rain? Well, just I need you to build an ark because the earth is going to be under judgment. And everyone is going to die. Sin is so bad. Things are so terrible. I created man for my glory, but man is living for other things. And, and sin is so destructive. That the people are being born into these cultures and these societies are living with continual suffering and pain and anguish. And ultimately they're being lost. And he says, I've got to start over. And so he tells Noah, I need you to build an ark. And it takes him 120 years to get that ark built. And gets to the work. And after that the ark is built, it's set there. It sits there for a while. And it's this humongous ark. And then the animals start coming. You guys know the story. And they fill the ark. The day is getting closer and closer and closer. When judgment is coming. Doors still open. We're not living in a different time. The signs are all around us. That one of these days. This thing can't keep going the way that it is. Jesus Christ. As he promised to do in the scriptures. Is going to come back. One of these days quickly for his church. And he is going to take all of the saved people to be in heaven with him. This is our hope. This we believe with all of our hearts. And you know what the great news? The door is open. For everyone that chooses to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the door is still open. And so isn't it funny that the animals walk through, but the people wouldn't. You know, little, little, well, I won't go into describing all the animals. You guys can imagine the, the leopard and the, and the armadillo and the ant and the rat and the, nobody likes rats, and, and, uh, and all of the rest of the animals just started coming into the ark, and, and all the people just kind of crossed their arms and said, isn't this interesting? Well, why don't you just come on in? I'm not going in. That's not for me. And they just kind of kicked back and stood back and watched all of these animals just migrate. It, that should have been a sign. 
should have been a sign that the animals are coming and filling this ark. Should, should, have, should have triggered something in their minds. The door was open. And so, after that, the door had been opened for a significant number of time, God closed the door. When Noah and his sons and daughters came into the ark, the door was closed. And because it was God that had closed the door, no one could open the door but God. You know, my friend, today, that the door to salvation is open. And you know why God offers you the door of salvation? Because he wants you to do well. Because he sees your heart affected by sin. Because he sees you involved in all kinds of things that don't make you feel good. Nor do they help you in your life spiritually, emotionally, or in other, any other way, physically. And still... When God sees this, he says that for the love of those few that will come, for the love of you, he waits and he keeps the door open. Seeing if somebody else will not believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this. Some of you guys, he's been waiting for you quite a while. You know, some of you younger kids here, okay, it's been 15 years, 20 years. Yeah, it's a good while, but it's not that much. But there's some of us here that we got gray hairs, and, and we're not as young as we used to be before. We've been waiting a long time for us to come. It's time. It's time to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time to surrender our life to him. It's time to say, I believe. Well, Noah was an old man when he came into the ark, and his children were younger kids. Those eight souls that came into the ark, when God finally closed the door, were secure and safe. Because it wasn't long after that the rain fell, and the, and the oceans overspilled their banks, and the fountains of the deep sprung forth, and the world was filled with water. And life came to an end, save for eight souls. It said this. I know it doesn't make sense. I've never heard about water. What's water? And not water, but rain. What's rain? We've never seen anything like this before. But somehow, they were able to believe God. God said it. So it makes a difference. It's not that a preacher saying it. Or that a pastor is saying, or an evangelist is saying it. The difference is that this is what God says. And you say, Pastor, well, what do you get that this is what God says? From the only book that tells us the mind of the will of God, and that is the Bible. So the message that I have for you today, this morning, is very simple. I don't preach complicated messages. Here's the message. Jesus is the way to God. And if you will believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will believe in the Lord for salvation, Jesus is also the door or the access to have a relationship with God that you desperately need to have in order for your heart and your life to be right. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. Let's all stand.
Kadesh, which means holy place, and um, Shechem, which means back or shoulder, Hebron, which means association or fellowship, Bezer, which means castle or secret fortress, Ramoth, which means heights, and Golan, which means his prison is joy. All of these cities that were spread out throughout the land of, Egypt, uh, of Israel were spread out throughout the land to send us all a singular message. God loves sinners. So I know God loves sinners. Unintentional, I messed up, right? That's our common story. Every one of us messed up, right? That's all of our story. When you talk about Kadesh, which means holy place, and I look at myself, I say, I'm not holy. When we think about the city of refuge called Kadesh, that means righteousness, I look at myself and I say, I'm not righteous. And so I run to a city that is called holy. And I run to a city that's called righteous. Shechem, that means shoulder or back, strength. For every one of us here today that are weary and tired, here's what God says. I've got a city. All you that are tired and heavy laden with sin, I know a city that you can run to. His name is Jesus. And if you will run to Jesus Christ, you will find strength. The name of the Lord is a mighty tower, said the psalmist. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Hebron means fellowship. And for everyone here today that feels out of communion with God. Oh, I know we say we're Christians. But the reality is that the relationship between God and us is not that good. And you feel today out of fellowship with God. I know a city that you can run to. This man became weak so that we could be made strong. This man allowed himself to be taken by sinful men and whipped and scourged and then taken and nailed to a cross. Not because they were stronger than he was or imposed their will upon him. They were nothing more than vessels of God so that he in his weakness could rescue every one of us that needed strength. I know a man. His name is Jesus. And for every one of these cities and every one of these challenges, Ramoth means heights. And I've been really low in my life as well as have many of us where we've needed someone just to lift us up. Golan means a prison of joy. 
for all of our anxiety and all of our fears and all of our, of our, of our emotions that have dragged us low. Jesus says, I've got a place for you. It's a prison, but not any prison. It's a prison of joy. It's a prison of gladness. It's a place where you can go and have God restored to you things that you lost a while ago. Now, I know you laugh, and I know you joke with your friends, and I know you have a smile with, your, with, your, with the people that you associate with and whatever, but you know the truth inside of you. Jesus has a refuge for you. That's the message this morning. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to hear our prayer and to help us. This morning, Jesus, I know there's people here today that, that need to be saved. They're guilty. We're all guilty. They've sinned. We've all sinned. separated. They're not in fellowship. They're broken. They're fearful. Maybe they're stubborn. Whatever the situation is, it is true for them and their lives, Lord Jesus. We know this today. You're the answer. So take every person that's living a low life every person that's living a life filled with fear and every person that needs strength and every person that needs joy and bless them today as they look to you Jesus and they say I now see you as the answer to my life and as they trust you and confess with their hearts and with their mouths the Lord Jesus Christ the Savior I pray that you would save them Lord and there are other brothers, persons in this place. They believed in you, but they've never been baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And you're dealing with them. And they've gotten to that place where they want to confess you publicly as Lord and Savior and receive the forgiveness of their sins in baptism. I pray that you would bless them as they make that confession this morning. In Jesus' holy name, we believe. Look at your neighbor, not look at your neighbor. Greet your neighbor, just tell him, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just confess it right now. If you believe, just say, I believe. If not, just smile and shake their hands and say, it's great to see you, sir.